Turn with me in your Bible to Daniel chapter number 3. Daniel chapter number 3, this is a, I want to read something to you, and I'm going to be reading you a few excerpts through the sermon here, but I don't know if you've ever heard of Harlan Popov. He was a pastor in Bulgaria, and uh, after World War II, you know, in World War II, when they, con- when they conquered, when they, when they defeated the Nazis, you know, Nazi Germany, there was an upheaval that took place. The, the Russians came from one side, the Americans and the British came, the Allies came from the other side, and uh, they ended up giving territory to the Russians. They, they ended up giving East Berlin over to the communists, and uh, there were other areas that the communists took over. Bulgaria and Romania were uh, two of those territories or you know, countries, whatever you want to say. But the communists came in, and they, they didn't so much conquer and take over the government altogether, but they kind of creeped in. You know, they had, there was a communist party, and people looked at them like they were just another party. And uh, then once the communists were in power, they eliminated all the competition in the government. All this is just for background. But Harlan Popoff was a pastor in Bulgaria before uh, before the... Russia had taken over Bulgaria, and he was an atheist. He got saved, and he ended up leading people to the Lord and uh, leading the church, and uh, I believe he's a Baptist pastor, and uh, Richard Wormbrand is another one. Richard Wormbrand you might have heard of because of the voice of the martyrs. He was the one that founded that ministry that helps uh, helps. The, the persecuted church, the underground church around the world. Maybe y'all have heard of it. Um, I looked into that when we were looking to tithe, but for various reasons, I didn't want to go into that. Um, for other reasons, uh, their stated purpose is good, but there was other things going on. Um, but Harlan Popoff, he wrote a book called Tortured for the Faith. Richard Wormbrand wrote a book, Tortured for Christ. And, uh, but in his book, in, uh, it was July 24th, 1948, the police came and they searched his house. They, they woke him up and knocked at the door. They came in, they searched his house, and you know they really had no idea why they were there, although they kind of suspected it was, they were coming because of things that had been going on. And then they took him in for questioning at the end of the evening. And when they took him in for questioning, his daughter was crying. They didn't know if they'd see him again. And it turns out that night when they took him away, he didn't come home for another 13 years. He spent 13 years in communist prisons, and he was, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was uh, sleep-deprived. They, they broke him. I'm just giving you all this background just because we're going to be looking at the, the children facing the fire, but or the young men facing the fire, but it, it, they, they sleep-deprived him until they reached a point. He said, they didn't brainwash me. That would, they knew they couldn't do that. Brainwash is giving yourself totally over to their ideals or, or what they believe. But they broke him to the point where he just did whatever they said. They had him stand on his feet for two weeks. 
literally stand on his feet for two weeks and working three shifts of eight hours and uh, just keeping him awake. And every time his eyes shut, they hit him in the head. And uh, by the end of that two weeks, his legs were swollen. They finally had to stop because he was, he was dying. But that didn't stop the torture. They got him better. And anyway, I know this is cheerful. I know y'all came here to be lifted up, but I just want to share this with you guys because it's about faith. But Harlan Popoff, when, after they got through in the first building and they took him over, said the secret police was called Dershavna Signornost, or DS. It was headquartered in a large white building nicknamed by the people the White House. But I assure you this White House was very different from the American White House. Many of our country's finest men have gone into the White House and have never come out alive. It was rumored that the White House even had its own subterranean graveyard for disposal of bodies of its victims. To the people of Bulgaria, the name DS meant disappearance, suffering, and death. Over one cell door was written a quotation from Dante's The Divine Comedy. All hope abandon ye who enter here. How appropriate. More people have died here than have come out alive, and those who survived do not live very long because of the torture which they have been subjected. There was talk that people who passed the DS building could hear screams coming up through the cobblestone street from the sprawling complex of subterranean cells below. I later found out this was true. When the Black Raven stopped and I was led into the building, that was the car that was taking him, fear and insecurity swept over me. It had been a week of sleeplessness and interrogation, and my body trembled and shook. As I was led through the door, the words from Psalm 73, 28 came to me. I have put my trust in the Lord God. I knew I couldn't expect help from anyone else here in the White House. I breathed a silent prayer. God, my life is in your hands. My fears began to melt away. I had a very strong feeling of peace. The tension in my body was gone. Death was perhaps waiting for me in the DS, White House. But my heart praised and worshiped the Lord. When a man faces death, he examines himself and thinks how he stands in relation with God. He sees things very clearly. I had resigned myself to the thought that my life on earth would soon be over and that within a short time I would be with the Lord. It was clear to me that I had been brought here to die. In the past week, I had lost everything that was dear to me on earth my wife, my family, my church, my home. But I felt God right beside, right beside me as I walked through the doors into the DS headquarters. Let's pray. Amen. So in Daniel chapter uh, 1, we see Daniel and his friends taken into captivity. But even while in captivity, they made a determination that they were going to be faithful to God. The Babylonians had taken over. They had captured Judah and they had taken the young men back to Babylon and the king was going to put them in their court, in his court. And he wanted them fed a certain way, but the Jews could only eat a certain way if they were going to follow God. They couldn't have pork. They couldn't have shellfish. They couldn't have fish that didn't have scales. They couldn't have those things. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The prince of the eunuchs was afraid, and he said, If I do this, then the king will kill me. It's the king that gave you this diet, not me. And he said he wasn't going to do it. Daniel talked to the guard. 
he, he tried again and he talked to the guard and told him, he said, look, just try us for 10 days. Feed us the pulse, feed us vegetables. Don't make us eat this meat. Because he did purposed in his heart that he wanted to follow God. And this series looking at Daniel, we, we want to look at purposing in our heart. In our walk with God, we want to we make that determination. You know, in the Old Testament, in Kings, in the book of Kings, when we look at different kings, those that prepared their heart to seek the Lord were the ones that God approved of. And the ones that failed, the ones that went after idolatry and stuff, were the ones that did not prepare their heart to seek the Lord. It's a preparation of the heart. And as Christians, you know, we... As a church, we can go to church, we can go to church, we can be there every Sunday, we can be there every Wednesday, we can be there every time the doors are open. But if you haven't prepared your heart to seek after God, if you haven't opened your heart to the things of God, it won't do you any good. You ever met one of those bitter old cranks that have been going to church their whole life? <laughs> if you ever been in a, in a meeting, you might have met one. Have you ever been in a committee meeting or something like that? I'm not going to name names. I've, I've heard arguments over the carpet, arguments over the color of the drapes, arguments. I, I thank the Lord that we haven't had that here, that, that we've, we've worked together as God has led. And, uh, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's meat. And last week, we talked about your walk. Your walk, your foundation of your walk is with Jesus Christ. It's placing your trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, and when I say I'm not going to name names, I wasn't even talking about this church, just so you all know. Because you all are sitting out there wondering, who is it? Who is it? I just want to get you all back on the message. I want, I want to get you all back on the message and get you all quit worrying about the gossip in the church. But the foundation, when you purpose in your heart, you, you make a determination that you're going to follow Jesus Christ. And they made, Daniel made the determination he was going to keep the diet as much as he could. He didn't have a temple to go to. It had been destroyed. He didn't, there wasn't vessels dedicated to God. They were all put into the, the house of Nebuchadnezzar's gods. But he could purpose in his heart that he was going to follow God to the best of his ability. You know, we may not have everything in place. You may not even be in the church that you're happy with. You may not even be at the, at the town you're happy with. You know, we were moving for 20 years, I think, 15 years. This is the longest we've been in one place. But you can follow God right where you are. You can purpose in your heart that you're going to follow God in spite of the circumstances, in spite of everything that's going around you and that's your, going on around you and that's your walk. So it wasn't just Daniel that purposed in his heart, but it was his friends. And they'd been renamed, and it's easier to say they're Babylonian names, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love saying those. You know, there's a preacher on the radio called Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He says, uh, he, he starts naming all the things that God is. He is the great I am. He is this. He is that. And after a while, he runs out of breath. He says, I just wish I could describe him. <laughs> And then he goes on again. He is the Alpha, the Omega. And I don't know how you get a name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that was his name, if I got it right. 
But they made a decision early on that they were going to follow the God of Israel. And the first temptation they had to overcome was not eating the meat that the king put before them. Those dietary requirements. They wanted to be faithful to the Lord. And I didn't even get to it last week. I got a little bit off track last week. But you know what the end result was? They came out looking better than everybody else. They had proved the diet and they, were, they, had, they looked healthier than all the other Babylonian kids or all the other kids that were on that diet. And so they got to continue on that diet. So if you're going to walk, grow in your walk with Christ, the first thing you're going to have to do is set your heart right. You're going to have to calibrate your heart to do some things. You're going to have to make a decision that you're going to follow Christ and you're going to do it. And it'll cost you. It'll cost you some things. The first thing you're going to have a purpose in your heart is that you're going to walk with Jesus Christ. The next thing you need to set your heart on is your worship. And that's where we are here in Daniel chapter number three. In this world, there's going to be pressure to bow down. And the world wants you to worship the way they want you to worship. They want you to bend the knee to what they want you to bend the knee to. And if you don't, your faith is going to be tested. Now, Harlan Popov in uh, Bulgaria... He was a prominent pastor. He knew he was on the hit list. He knew that they were going to go after him. They were going to go after the heads. And he knew he was one of them. But he continued on. He said, we had a little bit of rest in between with the, when the Russians were still gaining power. He, he began to, he was witnessing and leading people to Christ. They had a revival in Bulgaria before all this happened. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse number 1. Said Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. I'm told that's nine feet by 90 feet. And the breadth thereof is six cubits. You know, if you look in uh, Revelation, and this is for free, you'll see 603 score and six. Six, six, six. This is just a number shy. That's for free. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And then the princes and the kings, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. (coughs) And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So there was pressure to follow. Here they were in the midst. These young men, they had had been promoted. 
But here these young men have been called along with everybody else, and there they are in the midst. It said the plains of Durham. Nobody really knows what that word, where it is, but it sounds like a place that's got plenty of room for a nice big statue. Some people think that Nebuchadnezzar may have built that statue after his dream about the statue. He called in the previous chapter, in chapter number two, he had a dream and he wouldn't tell any of the, any of the magicians or anybody what it was. He said, you tell me what the dream is. And then you interpret it. And they said, only, only God can do that. Only a God can do that, they said. And they got, he was going to have them all killed. And Daniel said, hold on. Let me pray about this. And Daniel came and told him his dream and told him the interpretation of the dream. And the the statue starts out, I won't go into the whole thing, but the statue starts out with a golden head. And then it's made of various metals going down. And we see this happen through history with the nations, and it's all described. We're not going to go into that. But that golden head, he said, is you, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the nation that God has given you. So some people think that maybe Nebuchadnezzar might have been a little bit inspired to build a nice statue. Maybe it was of himself. We don't know if he was even like a man. I know I'm throwing a lot of doubt here, but there was a huge image there. Some say that maybe it was 20 years later after he had already conquered Egypt and he came back from Egypt and he saw all those statues out there and said, man, I got to get me one of these. Either one of those could have happened. King Nebuchadnezzar, he thought a lot of himself. But they stand out there on the plains, and there are all the other princes, the governors, and everyone out there. And they're looking at this image, and the pressure is on. Because it said when the music plays, then everybody's going to bow down. What happens when everybody bows down and you don't do it? What happens in a crowd when everybody bows down? And you don't want to do it. It's kind of like in the military when you need a volunteer and the whole row steps back and leaves you up front. <laughs> and they get called out. It was a lot easier. It would have been a lot easier for them to follow the crowd. Now, the Chaldeans, they had a lot of gods. It wasn't a problem for them. This was just another god. You know, when you, when you have a lot of gods, it's nothing to add in another one. There's people that, that have a statue of this God, a statue of that God. And they, you tell them about Jesus Christ, and they'll, well, yeah, I can add him to my house of gods. But they all bowed down. It was nothing to them, but for these boys, like Daniel, they had purposed in their heart that they weren't going to be defiled. They had purposed in their heart that they were going to follow God. They had prepared their heart. And let me tell you, when you prepare your heart to seek the Lord, when you prepare your heart to follow him, And a lot of people here have been Christians a long time, amen? But you might have to reach back. You might have to remember. You might have to remember that friend you had. You might have to remember the folks you hung out with. You might have to remember how when you decided, no, I need to to go home now because I'm going to church in the morning. I'm going to be there no matter what. When you made that decision, you kind of started to lose some friends. I don't know about y'all, but there's a little separation. It just kind of happens. You know, it's like, well, what do I do about my friends? Don't worry about it. Just talk about Jesus. They'll sort themselves out. Your friends will sort themselves out. So it's easier to follow the crowd. It's easier to go along. Not only was it easier for these Chaldeans, but I imagine that they also had their eye on these young men. 
because Daniel had interpreted the dream. And when he did, the king had the other magicians. He said, you're all frauds. Well, I'm adding that. But he had them destroyed. He had them killed. I imagine some of those Chaldeans had seen some of their friends that had gotten killed. And they look at these other fellas that get promoted up over in uh, chapter number two. Let's look at uh, 11 through 13, and then we're going to look at 48 and 49. About the dream, Daniel 2, 11, and it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. And that's when Daniel said, well, let me pray about this, because it's God that reveals dreams. And then in verse 48, after the interpretation of the dream, said, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors of all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel, having the character that he had, he didn't leave his friends behind. He didn't forget about his friends. Verse 49, Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So I imagine those Chaldeans had their eye on them. And when they saw something they could get them with, they jumped at the opportunity. So not only were they facing a lot of pressure to bow, they were facing a severe punishment if they didn't. Over in Daniel 3.11, Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So there's pressure to bow when you make a stand for the Lord. If you're going to purpose in your heart to follow God, there's going to be pressure to bow down to the world system. I don't know how it's going to come. But you know, it happens to us right now every day. There's pressure to, to, to forsake Christ. There's pressure to forsake the things of God. There's pressure to, eh, you can cheat a little bit on your taxes. Right, let's, let's dig in your heart there. Oh, you can cheat a little bit on your t- You can do a little bit of this. You can do a little bit of that. It's okay. And there's pressure to just kind of go along with the world system. I can tell you there's some pressure when it comes to the IRS. It's like, man, it'd be a lot easier not to have to mess with this stuff. But, but to not bow down to the world, to do what you need to do, to be a testimony. Whatsoever you do, do as unto the Lord and not as unto men. Knowing of him, you receive your reward. And that's a paraphrase. But you also, there's not only pressure to bow, but there's, there's power to refuse. Look at uh, verse number 8. Verse number 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now the king had put them in favor, and he was grateful to Daniel. But that kind of disappeared right here. Verse number 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. But he had a little mercy. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, in other words, you'll be just fine. All you got to do is bow down to the golden image. All you got to do is just, just put this God stuff away and bow down to the golden image, and you'll be all right. But if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That sounds like a challenge. You know, on the Titanic, one of the advertisements for it was the ship that God can't sink. Hello. Verse number 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, some of you may have a little clear, but, you know, in the King James English, what they're saying is, we don't even have, have to think about this. This is our answer. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if not, if not, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they were commanded by the king, but they still refused. They were surrounded by peers, easier to follow the crowd. I think I backed up. But old Nebuchadnezzar, he said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. It took no time to answer. Trust in God, no matter what the outcome. You know, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, I remember this in Sunday school. Man, they didn't bow to the golden image. But have you ever thought about what's involved in taking that stand that they took? Have you ever thought about what they were facing? Have you ever thought about the pressure that was on them when everybody got down on their knees and bowed down? And they just kind of stood toward the back. It's a little awkward. You know, I got to say, in my life in America, the hardest time I've ever had, and it's not very difficult, was not drinking a beer when somebody offered it. I mean, there's been other times, I'm sure, but that's the one that comes to mind. You know, I was at a party and uh, a work party, and it was when I had first been determined. I purposed in my heart I was going to follow God. And I they just, they, they had the brown bottle there. And I was like, well, they got the root beer, the IBC. Well, I could drink the IBC. Well, it's still a brown bottle, key. That was the conviction that got on me. I've been trying to witness to these guys. I've been trying to tell them. You know, non-Christians can tell a Christian exactly what he ought to be doing or ought not be doing. I mean, really. You're getting a divorce? Aren't you supposed to forgive? <laughs> well, I thought you weren't supposed to drink. I don't know. 
I thought you weren't supposed to do this or that. They'll tell you. They'll call you out. It's kind of like when Abraham was over in Egypt and, and he told Sarah, don't, don't tell them that you're my wife. They'll kill me. And then the, king, the Pharaoh takes her into his harem. And then there begins to be a curse on the household. <laughs> and uh, God speaks to him in a dream. And he, he, he sees Abraham out there sporting with Sarah, as the Bible says. And he gets mad at Abraham. He said, why didn't you tell me this was your wife? You brought all this on my household? Abraham was the one who was following God. And he had to be rebuked by Pharaoh. But you know, the non-Christians know what we ought to be doing more than we do sometimes. I got to get to my next point. Trusting in God no matter what the income or what the outcome. We, we, we don't know the kind of pressure that they faced. So not only were they standing out like a sore thumb, but they were also facing that burning, fiery furnace. For us, it's a Sunday school lesson, right? You put the little felt things on the board. We still do that here because <laughs> we got a felt board. But you put the characters up on the board and you got the little fire going and everything. That's all it is to us. But for them, it's a real fire. For them, when they're carried over there, they're not getting carried back. They trust God. They say, God can deliver us. You know, your problem doesn't have to be as big as a fiery furnace. Your problem might just be taking a stand. Who knows what it could be in your life? No matter how big, no matter how small to you at the time, it's big. You remember when you were a kid? Remember when you had a crush on somebody? On a girl, if you're a guy. On a guy, if you're a girl. We'll stay with that here. Remember when you had a crush? It was a big deal then. Remember when they wouldn't answer your call or, you know, should I call, should I not? Maybe some of y'all didn't go through that. I don't know. It was a big deal when you're a kid. I don't want to take you too far back. But they were facing the fiery furnace. It took no time to answer, trusting in God no matter what the outcome. And your faith grows. Purpose in your heart. They made a commitment. They would worship only the God of Israel. They purposed in their heart. But you know, their faith didn't start at the fiery furnace. They didn't get to that point, and that's when they decided to follow God. They had made the decision a long time ago. Their faith started long before that as they sat at the table staring at the meat that was put before them. They looked down at the table, and they refused to eat it. They had most likely been taught about the God of Israel at a very early age. They faced that small trial early on. You know, when you don't face the small trials and you wonder why your faith isn't growing, when you don't face the small things that God puts in front of you and you wonder why you're not growing in your walk, the temptation to eat the food that was forbidden by the law handed down from Mount Sinai from God to Moses through Moses. How easy then to say we have no choice. This is our circumstance. Surely God will understand. As they sat there at that table with that meat, how many times have we justified something and said, well, God will understand this. God will understand. I can, I can do this. We're in the age of grace. God will understand. They were sitting there at that table, and they said, no, no, I can't do this. And they did all that they could, and they, did, they went through the right channels for it. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. When you purpose in your heart, the trials may begin small. 
you say, I couldn't have the faith to possibly face the fire, you don't know what you could face. Harlan Popoff, as he was being led away from his house that night on July 24, 1948, he didn't know what was going to happen. He might be home in a couple hours. He didn't know what he was facing. He said, walking to the police station between the three men around 7 a.m., I held my head high. As the four-man parade walked down the street, I could feel the eyes of my friends, neighbors, and church members on me. I knew that since my conversion, I had served only God, and I was in God's hands. From the depths of my heart, I cried out to God, asking for his grace to endure whatever was before me. And when you read the rest of that book, what a horror show. But you know, when you go through the fire, those trials, those temptations that we face, you purpose in your heart that you're going to follow God, and then that trial comes, whatever it may be. I don't care how small, how big, whatever it may be, there's a purpose in that fire. People say, why has this happened to me? God, I, I've, I've followed you. I, I've, I've been to church. I, I, I'm starting to... Hey, you ever... You ever realize some of the biggest attacks you have are when you're drawing the closest to the Lord? It happens. I don't know about these preachers that get up there and say, oh, you know, I've been following God and everything's been right ever since. And that's like, man, what, what, what's he got against me? <laughs> the trials begin. The pressure is real. What you face may not be life and death, maybe something as simple, but as painful as losing a friend or a group of friends or a relative that you once got along with. My, uh, when I when I'd first surrendered to preach, I had a desire to see people saved. And you know, you're you're kind of like a man running into a a cow yard with a baseball bat and they all scattered because you want to lead everyone to the Lord and, and, and you got to buy, I, I want to show you this if I just show you this you get saved came home on vacation and my grandfather was there at my mom's house you know me and Dee come home on vacation I'm sitting there and I'm talking to my grandfather and I'm trying to tell him about Jesus Christ I knew my grandmother was saved she was the one that taken me to church when I was little you know or when I'd visited her out in uh, California when I was there in the Navy. You know, I went to church with her. She was going to church wherever she was. And I'm sitting there at the table. I'm trying to tell my grandfather and my grandmother has passed away. I said, I know Dad, Nana was saved. And I'm trying to tell him about Jesus Christ. And man, from him, for him to go from being my grandfather to being this man that's about to run me out, just get away from, you know, I don't think I can remember what he said. I put it out of my head. But to be pushed away like that and to hurt so bad because you don't want to see him die and go to hell. You, want, you know Jesus Christ is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. No, man, you hear me every Sunday, right? Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth. That's the most truthful verse in the, you know, I mean, the whole Bible's truthful, but that verse right there, People don't get a hold of it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. All these religions start. All this other stuff starts. All this speculation starts. All this, well, you know, me and the God, we just have an understanding. All that starts. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
And when you believe your Bible and when you trust, you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ and you see a family, you don't want them to die and you don't want them to go to hell. But to have him turn on you, I'm a papa. And so you back off. There's nothing else I can do. We never talked about it for years and years. Now I'll tell you something. You know, that, that last days, he was there in the hospital at the VA and he was he was dying that night. And I'm there with him. They got him down in the emergency room before they got him up in a room, but I'm just talking to him. He can't do nothing to me now. I'm saying, Papa, it's through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Oh, yeah, you place your trust in Jesus Christ, Papa. You know he's not going to be there in the morning. And I'm just talking to him. He can't even talk back. And you're just praying and you're asking, God, please show him. I'm a little bit off sermon here, but just please show him. Don't know if he can hear. All I know is he passed away peaceful when he passed away. I don't know what his testimony was, but I hope someday I'll see him in heaven. Amen? The heat is real, the pressure is real. But you know something? When you go into the fire, when you go into that trial, when you go into the White House that Harlan Popov went into, you don't go in there alone. Look with me at verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound up, their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Now you're going to have to look up here and just listen to me. And you're going to have to take my word and the King James word for it. Did not we cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You wonder why I like the King James. The fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire 
had no power, nor was in hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their house shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They weren't alone in the fire, and you won't be alone in your trial. You won't be alone when you purpose your heart to follow God, to walk with Christ and to worship the one true God and not bow down to the golden image that the world has set up. So many idols the world sets up. He said, I see four men bound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of the son of God. And here it says, oh, hey, God. First Peter 4.12 said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that which, is to, that which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Arlen Popoff said, man's natural reaction when looking at suffering is to think it is too hard to bear. We try to avoid it, but later we find that suffering becomes of great value and is more precious than gold. Suffering was a fire which our churches had to undergo so that all that was hay and stubble would be burned up, leaving the pure gold shining more brightly than ever. In the process, the structure of the church, the body of Christ, well, excuse me, the structure of the church would be destroyed or subverted. You know, at one point, they replaced the faithful in the church with their own people. They destroyed the church in that way, putting their own people in. Said in the process, the structure of the church would be destroyed or subverted, but there would remain a true living church, the body of Christ, the underground church. This is for free. This is where I tell you I'm stepping away from the sermon just sharing something with you. When I was studying this and when I read what he said there, I said, right here, right here, Dee. I said, you know, and I guess I could give you background, but being in a church, a Baptist church, it thinks that the bride of Christ is the local assembly and, and not realizing it for several years because I was spiritually asleep. But when you realize, and they say that, this is the bride of Christ. This is Christ's body. This local church, this local church building. And in my mind, I'm saying, 
What happens when man destroys your church? What happens when man takes away your structure? What happens then? Does Christ's body die? If you're putting all of your hope right here in this church, right here in this building, and right here in this assembly, this assembly that has people coming off the street that are unsaved, this assembly that has people coming here, not only that, but you're saying Christ is here. Christ's body is here. But somebody like Harlan Popov or somebody like Richard Wormbrand who went through the fire, well, he's not going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb because he's not in the local Baptist church. Y'all follow me on that? But when I read that, I said, right here, this is what made me so mad about it. This is what got me fired up about it. That's for free, guys. Ain't even in the sermon. But I just want you to know, when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter where you are. I've been in some churches that I wish I could have stayed at, but I had to move. I say some. I've been in one church that I really wanted to stay at, that I really wanted to grow there, but my job took me away. And I had to realize, you know, God's not just here. But it's you drawing close to God wherever you are. I love everybody being here. I love seeing you guys. It breaks my heart when you're not here. But I want you to know, wherever you go, and I'm not running you off. Matter of fact, I'll do everything I can to guilt you into coming. (laughs) Y'all know that. (laughs) I can't even hear out there. What? (laughs) Dee will tell me later. But I want you to know that wherever you go, it's your relationship with Christ that's more important than anything. Harlan couldn't go to church for 13 years. He had church in prison. He was still leading people to the Lord. You know, he said he would tap on the wall and lead people to the Lord. They had a, a, Mor- a Morse code or a prison code on the wall tapping. They would leave messages. He would leave Bible verses scratched into the wall there for people that would come after him. One man had written, as long as I breathe, I have hope. It was such a desperate situation. He said, when man, he said man's first natural reaction when looking at suffering is to think it is too hard to bear. We try to avoid it, but later we find that suffering becomes of great value. Suffering was a fire which our churches had to undergo so that all that was hay and stubble would be burned up, leaving the pure gold shining more brightly than ever. In the process, the structure of the church would be destroyed or subverted, but there would remain a true living church, the body of Christ, the underground church. Harlan Popov didn't know what was ahead of him that night as they came away to came to search his house and took him away for question. He didn't know he'd be facing two weeks of being kept up all night, facing a wall, his eyes eight inches from a white wall. He didn't know about the beatings he would face or the starvation. But he knew who his God was, and he had purposed long ago in his heart that he would follow him. And after he went through all of that, and I'm going to share this with you, he said, Pastor, that's kind of depressing stuff. But on that book, in that book, on the cover page that he wrote for you to read before you start reading what all happened to him, He said this, during the 13 years and two months in communist prisons, I was sustained by two things, 
first that my knowledge that my life was truly in God's hands, not the hands of my communist jailers. Second, that I might live to someday give my testimony and tell what I witnessed. The purpose of this book is not to show man's depravity, which I experienced every day and night for over 13 years, but rather to show God's overwhelming love in the midst of man's bestiality. In prison, I learned the lesson of love as never before. Though I had preached of God's love from many pulpits, I came to see his love in a new way, in the black despair of subterranean cells and in the faces of countless fellow prisoners, stripped of all material things and all distractions, I found a greater reality in God than I had ever known before. The truth often shines clearest when the circumstances are darkest. 